Stories of Communism 31, Forbidden Love. Welcome to Stories of Communism, the podcast where we discuss what life is really like for those unfortunate enough to live under communist or socialist governments. Recording from the suburbs of Portland, Oregon, this is Eric Seligman, your co-host, along with Manuel Castaneda. This week we'll be discussing an unusual memoir by a Romanian named Teodor Flanta, in which he discusses his cross-iron curtain romance with an Italian girl in the late 1960s and early 1970s. The memoir, called Paper Rings, tells the story of how he met his future wife, Ariella, while she was visiting on a student trip, and of the many obstacles they faced as the romance developed. As we'll see, the pervasive effects of living under a broken and corrupt system affected every step of their courtship, The miraculously it all worked out in the end. At the start of the book, Flanta is a student who works part-time as a propaganda radio announcer for the Romanian government. When he spots a beautiful Italian girl named Ariella at the International Romance Linguistics and Philology Conference, it's love at first sight, at least on his side. But he's faced with a small problem, how to actually get a chance to speak to her. Luckily, he's one of a small group of students who might have a chance. Contact between us and foreigners, particularly Westerners, was not allowed unless expressly authorized. Therefore, I felt privileged and lucky, and I was smiling on the inside at the thought that I was one of the dozen students with language skills sent by the dean to the organizing committee of the Congress to help the participants find their way to lecture rooms and to answer their questions. Our brief was to avoid talking politics, but if we had to, we were to keep in mind the supremacy of our political system over theirs by reminding them that there was no exploitation of man over man in our country, that we did not have unemployment as everybody was given a job, and that there was no disruption in our society due to strikes and endless bargaining between workers and factories. Our system was fair to all. We had, therefore, all the freedom we wanted to concentrate on the main task of building a luminous future for everybody, as promised by our leaders so often. Unfortunately, this assignment doesn't leave much room for small talk or socialization, but Flanta desperately hangs around the conference for a whole week searching for her. In an amazing stroke of luck, a colleague who's been assigned as Ariella's personal guide has a scheduling problem and asks him to fill in. He finally gets to meet her for real, and they click immediately. He's more infatuated than ever. Luckily, he has a built-in excuse for lingering at conference events to wait for her. I was not leaving. I had to stay at my post to see if any of these capitalists left the conference rooms, where they were going, what they were up to, and to alert the authorities to timely action to prevent such foreigners plotting against us or from wanting to befriend us. They get to spend more time together, as he shows her the sights and have a long conversation about their lives. Flanta has to be careful what he says, and even casual topics like discussing their groups of friends has strangely political connotations in this context. Ariella is surprised, for example, to hear that he doesn't have too many friends. My world was so different from hers. Many things were upside down, nothing squared properly. How could it be when in our self-proclaimed materialistic society it was the material things we lacked most? It was evident to everybody that the Western world was materially richer than ours. We were all needy, poor by comparison. Thus friendship was often limited to an exchange of goods which created a chain of obligations towards each other. We needed each other to survive as the regime cared mostly about what we could not do and could not have. I have an obligation to do this for him or her was what you heard often and that was the cement which bonded people in my world. A life full of obligations and often devoid of sentiment was no fun at all, but it kept us busy. As for exchanging ideas, well, we could take the risk to do that in private, testing the trust of family members and friends. It even occurs to him for a moment that this woman might actually be a securitat informant, trying to draw out disloyal comments and report them to the secret police. 
but his feelings for her are so strong that he decides it's worth the risk. She asks him about some minor details of Romanian student life, whose answers are normal to him but shocking to someone living in the West. Are you allowed to express opinions which are not those of your lecturers, let's say from older books, she wondered? You need special permission to consult old books published before communism took over. That's unbelievable. She could barely restrain herself. I was aware that people could not have Bibles in Russia, but I thought that was because the regimes professed atheism. This is news to me, she continued. Then she told me she just joined an organization created by Catholic priests that aimed to educate people about Russian orthodoxy, to inform about the lack of religious freedom, and to contribute in whatever way they could to maintaining their Christian presence in Russia. They organized seminaries with exiled Russian writers and artists and printed books and articles reaching them through Samizdat, copies written by hand or cyclostyled. I listened to her in awe. They agreed to start writing to each other, which is permitted, though they have to be on constant alert that government censors will read their letters and look suspiciously on any foreign contact. He loves hearing from her, though their correspondence also serves as a constant bitter reminder of the fundamental differences between their lives. He's mystified why she chooses to continue visiting communist countries when she can spend all her time in the luxurious West. Her freedom to go anywhere she liked made me think. It was the first time I talked to a person who told me about things which for us belonged to dreams. There were things that seemed unreal, and it was hard for me to imagine what I would have done with all that freedom myself. Then I asked myself why a person would go to Russia, of all places, when there was Paris, Rome, Vienna, London, New York, or Sydney to visit. Although I liked her description of Novgorod, I still hated everything the Soviet Union stood for. I knew she looked at all those things she had seen with the eye of a tourist while I was looking at Russia with the eye of a victim. In 1946, the communists had fixed the elections and won by a large majority. Any politicians who opposed the elections were arrested, and ordinary people who voiced dissent were labeled enemies of the state. I realized I could not blame Ariella for her feelings. She could not have had the experience that I'd had, nor the experience my father had, of being arrested and tortured in the communist jails just for not agreeing with the regime. She visits a few more times, and after Flanta foolishly blurts out that he's hoping to marry her someday, it becomes clear that this has moved from a friendship to a romance. She tries to get him to come visit her in Italy, but this is very challenging. His father's been labeled a public enemy due to past opposition to the Romanian regime, and thus it's almost impossible for him to get an exit visa. He also suffers from a constant fear that his romance will be somehow labeled as a subversive foreign contact by the government and get him arrested. Luckily, the period of this romance largely coincides with the period of detente between Romania and the West, when the dictator Ceausescu is trying to show independence from the USSR. Throughout the memoir, we also catch many glimpses into the day-to-day material deprivation in the life of the typical Romanian under communism. As we've heard in other episodes, small things we take for granted, like packaging and bags available at stores, are unheard of luxuries to Flanta and his friends. Like soldiers in combat with their inseparable rifle, we were an army of civilians carrying in our pocket our daily battle implement, the nylon bag, which would spring into action like a bullet whenever a food item was spotted. The dear nylon bag became our most cherished possession, and it became a symbol of our misery and our struggle for daily survival. He also comments ironically on Ariella's concerns with helping international charities to aid the poor. This seems like something that should be fully in line with communist philosophy, but is unthinkable to the average Romanian. How could we, at a personal level, help the hungry people of the world when we, city people, had to get up before dawn and queue for a ration of meat and bones to feed ourselves? Sometimes you had to queue three times. First, you had to queue to get to the butcher counter. After he cut the meat, with bones and all, for you, 
you'd have to queue at the cashier, and after that, armed with the cashier's docket, you had to queue at the collection point for your packet of meat and bones. We were kept busy procuring food every day. We could not plan a menu in advance, but to make do with what was available that day and with what we could grab from that short supply. The vast differences between their social statuses naturally leads to many suspicions among Ariella's family and friends that they can't fully trust Flanta, and they urge her to break off the unorthodox romance. On the phone, she told me that her family thought that a person like me, born in communist Romania, could not be trusted. They blamed not only our system, but also us, the common people within it, without discrimination. Ariella's friends, believing they were born in a better social system, could not accept that my sentiments equaled theirs. So here I was in the unenviable position of being cornered by both my official world and by Ariella's family and friends. But Ariella is not deterred. After a few years, Theodore and Ariella are ready to get married. Unfortunately, they discover that a marriage between a Romanian and a foreigner requires direct permission from the state council, the communist leadership. At best, they could hope for a possible response in six months after applying. The news about the state council's involvement in our marriage had opposite effects on Ariella and me. It gave her new vigor as it clarified things, but it showed me the dreary days ahead as the state council was headed by Ceausescu himself. I wondered if anything could be more difficult than dealing with the top echelon of any institution, in our case, the leader of the country. They had the power to deny us, and if that happened, we'd have no other legal avenues left. Aware of that, we thought of a plan B. I should apply for a passport to go to Italy, and once there, I would ask for political asylum and get married. This option looked straightforward, but it was difficult to obtain a passport even if I had an official invitation with all the expenses and insurance paid. We thought that we were ready under the Securitat scrutiny, so they would not give me the passport anyway. Furthermore, my unhealthy social origin would certainly add to the difficulty. Eventually, they decide to have a secret religious marriage and manage to find a priest willing to defy the Communist Party and carry out a small ceremony for their family and closest friends. While this helps cement their true commitment to carrying out this process to the end, they still need the official government approval if Flanta wants any hope of moving to Italy to live permanently with his new wife. So they continue with the marriage application process, battling the bureaucracy over various forms before they even have a chance at official approval. I decided to try my luck and went with the pile of papers to the basement of the palace hall, where the only lady at the counter behind the grate looked at them, checked them one by one, and accepted them without hesitation. I was walking on clouds. For once I could maintain a promise that I had made to Ariella to be quick with the documents. I felt like Caesar must have felt when he crossed the Rubicon. Whenever you dealt with officials, there was always some paper missing. You had to go through interminable queues, lose your temper, and swear under your breath and feel like everything was against you. We still had to wait for an answer to come back from the state council, but if one didn't come, we would ask for an audience to try to speed up the process. When the paperwork is processed, though, he has to face one final unexpected obstacle. Government officials want to condition his approval on agreement to act as a spy for Romania and Italy. There should be no obstacles for people in love, I dared to say. Besides, I don't see any reason we should be denied this right. We are not harming anyone by marrying he smiled and looked me straight in the eyes. Of course, of course, but in a society like ours, the individual cannot put his personal interests above those of the state. You know this, don't you? It's very simple. There's no big effort on your part. When you're in Italy, if everything goes well, keep an eye open and let us know what we need to know. You mean spying? I wouldn't put it that way. How would you put it? Observing is the better word. And if I don't agree, then you are on your own and we cannot help you. 
How could I say yes to a regime which had arrested my father, tortured him, and deprived me and my mother of his presence for years on end? I could not forgive them for that, and I could not forget all the humiliations I was subjected to for being the son of a man labeled enemy of the people. The regime made the laws, but the way in which they behaved was as lawless criminals. I could not become an accomplice to their crimes. I leave you to think about it, comrade captain said. I will contact you in a week. In the meantime, please prepare a written, detailed profile of your future bride and her family. Members, ages, professions, earnings, political persuasion. You know everything. It is a formality, a simple formality. He refuses to help the Securitat captain, but several other inquiries and requests from various officials follow. Meanwhile, he tries to use contacts of his friends and family to encourage the approval of his request through alternate channels. Somehow, the approval for the marriage eventually does appear in Flanta's mailbox, though he can never be quite sure who finally approved it or why. But his joy is somewhat dampened by the need to apply separately for his exit passport, another huge bureaucratic delay. To add insult to injury, Flanta's new father-in-law in Italy is dying, and he needs to leave quickly if he wishes to meet him. A family friend suggests a way to speed up the process. He advised me that I should put something on paper, promising the Securitat that I would help them in some way, and that might speed up the issue of my passport. I told him that I couldn't do that. My father suffered at the hands of those people. That's the point, he said. Why should you suffer too? You just put some words together, words that sound nice to their ears. I'll help you, he said. You don't have to follow up on any of them. Once you're in Italy, you're in Italy. In the end, he gives in. I was very uncomfortable with writing something for them, but I thought that was better than sitting at a table with some Securitat officer to sign a contract as I had heard some people had done. I was going to pursue cultural, artistic, economic activities favorable to Romania. I would work within the Romanian community and try to install in its members love for Romania. I would promote tourism, make translations of various kinds, organize art galleries, the more the better. The more things I could promise, the less likely it was that I would pursue any of them. I gave them words, not commitment. That made me less guilty. He finally gets his passport approved, but not in time to visit Ariella's father, sadly. But ultimately, he leaves to join Ariella for their new life in Italy. In the end, he reflects on the toughest obstacles that had stood in the way of their relationship. In my young life, I'd been humiliated many times, mostly for being the son of my parents, but I'd never felt so humiliated as I was when I tried unsuccessfully to get little things done in the presence of Ariella. I longed so much to show her that I was a man she could count on. I wanted to be free to go and visit her as she had visited me, to show her that I was capable of making a sacrifice for her. I just wanted to share her burden, to show her that I was a decent man, a caring human being. I was not allowed to do that by my country, obsessed with controlling my movements, my contacts, my love. A country which forbids love cannot be loved. Countries like that should never exist ever on the face of the earth. What did you think of uh, this story? Wow, what an interesting story. This is one of my favorite stories because it's a story about the most powerful force in the world, love. <laughs> and love conquers just about anything. Um, I always knew that Romania suffered a lot under communist rule and the Ceausescu's time and, and you know, mainly being part of the other satellite countries for the Soviet Union, they must have had a, an incredible, uh, painful time during all that time. 
Yeah, yeah. I think um, if I remember right, that was one of the toughest uh, communist regimes also to fall in the end. Um, Ceausescu held on a little bit longer than some of his neighbors. Yes, and it and it's interesting to know from the story that some of these people within that very, very close grip on them, they were still um, fighting back. Yeah. Especially this the, the this gentleman's uh, father, you know, who who was uh, incarcer- incarcerated, but he knowing very well that speaking up against the uh, government, the communist government, was going to end his freedom, and they still do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for us who live in the West where right, we can just feel free to say what we want and to criticize the government as much as we can, probably more than we should in some cases. Um, you know, look at how people like Flanta had to live in constant fear. And, um, yeah, it's just a huge contrast. Yes, and it, the story also tells us how important it is to not cut complete ties with uh, these regimes, even as bad as they are, that having some sort of contact, like in this case Italy had with uh, Romania, uh, creates an opportunity for others to see something different and to to give them hope that there is something else out there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but it's also interesting to look at sort of the flip side of that, just, yeah, they had some level of engagement, but because they were so paranoid and restricted their citizens so much, I mean, it seems like they had a lot less engagement than they should have. Right. I mean, if the Romanian system was so superior to capitalism, as they claimed, why were they so paranoid about having any of their citizens even talk to a foreigner? Right. And the way they had to put Flanta out to guard people at the conference in case they would wander off and see something or hear something they shouldn't. Right. Shouldn't the Romanians have been proud of their system and wanted the visitors to see as much as possible? Yes, I understand. It's pretty much almost like a jealous spouse that is constantly tracking down the other the other <laughs> the other half to see what they're doing or where they're going that just means that they probably already know that jealous spouse that that the that the person they're with has an opportunity to have a better life yeah yeah but um getting more back to the personal story i also thought speaking of you know jealous spouses and things it was interesting just seeing how they're relationship progressed when they had such different circumstances, right? Were things that, you know, Ariella could do every day, just like going to the store and buying meat, were such an ordeal for for um, Flanta. Yeah, and in fact, it did work out, according to the story. <laughs> things did work out fine, but uh, in a lot of cases, they may not work out because you're coming from so such a different background that it 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 has to be hard to make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they must have really loved each other to work through all that. You know, but the other yes. interesting thing was that 
you know, they even though they were work, willing to work through all that, there were still all these bureaucrats in the way who could have stopped him right, and could have ended that relationship if they'd, you know, come down a little harder on Flanta when he didn't do what they wanted. And that's kind yes. of scary. Yes, and, and uh, one of the uh, themes that we see in those societies is that who you know becomes very important, you know? Yeah. Bribery and who you know, because it, it appears that if you happen to find somebody that likes you or that knows someone within the system, that's when you tend to get a break. Yeah, yeah, and that's just a natural consequence, right, of when you have an army of bureaucrats that can make mm -hmm. decisions about every detail of your life, right? When they want you to do something, they can, you know, they can hold it over you, and if you want to get something done, you know, you really have to call in personal favors because the bureaucrats are, you know, constantly buried under such a huge pile of paperwork, they have an excuse to delay anything indefinitely. Uh, I'm wondering if... Uh... How old do you think they are? Are they still in living in Italy? Are yeah. they still living in Italy? And uh, he's still alive and uh, doing well. And uh, we actually might interview him for our next episode. Wow, that would be very interesting. It's uh, it's really a story of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, and it's nice, you know, on this podcast. Of course, some of our episodes have been kind of bleak or depressing. It's it's nice to be able to tell a story with a happy ending for once, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, the happy ending was not necessarily in Romania, but uh, it was still a happy ending. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, was was happy that uh, he got out and they succeeded in getting together. And uh, yeah, and it'll be interesting to hear from him about uh, what happened subsequently to the book, uh, as far as you know, his relationship with Romania after the fall of communism. I'll look forward to that. Yes, and see if he did any spying for the Romanians. <laughs> I suspect he didn't, but I guess you never know. <laughs> as always. There's a lot more to this story than the short excerpts we've read today. Be sure to check out Theodore Flanta's memoir titled Paper Rings, which you can find linked in the show notes. And this has been your story of communism for today.